Welcome everyone, we're about to begin verses Hashem Shalom Bayashir number 190. We're going to talk today about a topic, um, Rosel Pliskin brings it down, but it's a very important topic about how important your facial expressions are and the look in your eyes are, because that could speak louder than words. Now, Amoida ala MS with me, that I just simply for most of my life, never really paid attention to it, not because it's not important, but because of lack of awareness of it and lack of consciousness, like it's something that I didn't really think about that much. It's like, um, you know, I try to work on my mind and my heart, makes sense, but to use your facial expressions um, and to be, to you know, that when you're displeased about something and sometimes it's important to hold back that feeling or that expression of displeasure, and you put on a pleasant face, sometimes I wasn't cognizant and aware, hey, you know, that's important. And the truth is, it is very, very important. Because we communicate in many ways, and just like we communicate with our words, we also communicate with our body language, and with the expressions on our faces, and even with the look in our eyes. And there are expressions, even without saying any words, that just by the look of the face and the look in the eye, the other person feels that I like you very much or I care about you or I respect you. And then there are other facial expressions that unfortunately give the reverse message, that I have contempt for you or I'm not happy with you or I wish you could get out of here. And Zal Pliskin brings down, he had a Rosh Hashiva, Chaim Mordechai Katz, that he used to say, that we could even kill another person, so to speak, with the way we wrinkle our nose at the mention of his name, or rolling the eyes, or something like that. On the other hand, when you make a facial expression that puts somebody at ease and lifts up his spirits, it could, it, it could do a tremendous thing. I just read recently, again, I know this is a famous story of Rav Moshe, that Rav Moshe had, uh, bought a beautiful shas, when it first came out, and there was a Talmud in his room, and when Moshe left the room, by mistake, the Talmud spilled blue ink all over the Gemara, and the Talmud f- said he felt like the, he, you know, the earth could swallow him up. He was so embarrassed and felt terrible. When Moshe came back in, he right away hopped, and he put on a tremendous smile of simcha. And he told the Talmud, you know, blue is my favorite color. You just made the Gemara a lot more beautiful. And just, he continued on. And I was reading the story and the way it was written, and then I realized something, that it wasn't just the words that he said and the calmness in which he said it that put the Talmud at ease to make him not feel bad, but, that, but his expressions on his face. He put up a big smile and a simcha and truly showed that he was happy. Thank you for, you know, like, like so, which is the reverse, to make him totally at ease and not feel guilty whatsoever with the mistake that he made, that he, he spilled some ink on the Gemara. So he shouldn't have Chalisha Sadas. And he, and Ramesha, in a split second, his whole facial expression, his whole demeanor was extremely pleasant and happy and besimcha and with ahava towards the Talmud to put the Talmud at ease. And a lot of that had to do pretty very, very clear with the facial expression that you have. So it's very important to create an inner positive feeling 
that's reflected in the look of your face and in your eyes. So here's an anecdote that he brings down. He says, a woman's saying this, that when my husband didn't like something that I did, he'd show his displeasure by staring. And I found this very distressing, but I got used to it, so I didn't say anything. One Shabbos, we had guests for the meal, and the topic discussed was anger. And one of the guests asked my husband if he gets angry frequently. And I was certain that my husband would reply that he doesn't, but I know he really does. But to my surprise, my husband was totally open. And my husband told the guests that unfortunately I have a bad temper and I consistently need to control it, to keep it under control. As a child, I used to shout a lot at my brothers and sisters. As I got older, I learned to control my temper, but inside I was feeling frustrated and critical. And I realized that before I got married, I need greater mastery over my emotions. And I worked very hard at developing attitudes that would decrease my inner feelings of anger. And I kept practicing all kinds of techniques to increase my patience and tolerance. And I felt guilty when I became impatient, but I'm improving. But I know I have a long way to go. Now, when the wife heard this, this was an eye-opener to me. I didn't realize that my husband was working on his temper. I only observed the look of his eyes, which I interpreted as his impatience with me. Now I realize the fact that he only expresses it with his pleasure, displeasure with his eyes as a result, instead of speaking, was a result of him working on himself. So the next time I saw that look in his eyes or that disapproving look, I told my husband, I appreciate your efforts in controlling what you're saying. And after a few more times, I expressed appreciation for his efforts and he was thankful and so on. So this is a story of being done like Havschos, of giving the benefit of the doubt when someone does not have a pleasant facial um, um, expression because it could be that they're, they're really working on themselves and just they're holding themselves back from lashing out and this is a work in progress. But that doesn't take away the fact, though, that it's very important to work on this too. To when you're trying to eliminate Aina to cause pain to another person, especially to your own husband or wife, that a lot of it is in your body language and in your expressions in your face and in your eyes, and you need to be careful with it and work on it, not to hurt your spouse by that. And so that's one thing, the facial expressions. Another idea in general is to ask yourself what could I stop saying or what could I stop doing that is currently causing my spouse distress? And that's something to ask yourself regularly. What should I stop saying? What should I stop doing that's causing my spouse distress? And everyone knows themselves. They know their spouse. They need to decide on his and her own on how often to ask this question, but it needs to be asked often. And you think about things. And if you can't think of anything, you ask your husband or wife. And they'll tell you, and it's important to hear this, you know, and, um, and so on. So very often someone would say that when I comment that something bothers me, my spouse would respond, I don't see why this would bother you. It doesn't bother me. Why should it bother you? But the truth is, is that's not an argument because every human being is different. The Torah obligates 
every person to be sensitive to the individual and the likes and dislikes of that other person, even though our own likes and dislikes are different. People make the mistake, and the Mesilashi Sharm brings this down. When it says, even though it says that expression, you should love your fellow man like yourself, it doesn't mean like your likes and your dislikes. It means that just like you have your own personal things that you like and dislike, that you, do, that you don't want anything displeasing to you, so you have to do the same for your chaver, certainly for your spouse. But that doesn't mean that you translate your dislikes to them or your likes to them. You have to understand what the individual needs. And you can't say that if it doesn't bother me, it doesn't bother you. Because it's not always true that way. You know, a spouse may insist, you know, if it bothers you, it's abnormal. That's your problem, not my problem, because it doesn't bother me. But that's a wrong approach. You try to understand your husband or your wife, realize that they have individual sensitivities, they have individual separate things that may bother them and not bother them that needs to be respected, and that's very, very important. And Ainas Dvarim, the Isra of Ainas Dvarim, is subjective. That's That's basically the idea. Just like Vahafta Lorayacha Kamoicha is not meant literal. It means that just like I don't want to do anything that would hurt myself, I can't do anything to hurt somebody else, but it's a different person with different likes and dislikes. Same thing, Oinaz Devarim is subjective. Sometimes you could say to yourself also, someone says something to me like that, it wouldn't bother me. Why should it bother you? But that's not how it works. You need to understand that if it hurts your spouse, it hurts your husband or wife for you to talk this way then you, can, you, you need to work on stopping to say or do something like that. And finally, habits work that way. You need to work on it. And once you work on something hard, after a while it becomes a habit, it becomes second nature. And it goes the other way around too. Sometimes you find there's a habit that you have that may find that really upsets your husband and wife. We're not talking now about when they're nitpicking about some mishigas, because everyone has certain idiosyncrasies. Everyone, you know, talks a certain way. So, it, you know, in a normal way, you have to learn not to get irritated. Everyone talks differently, speaks differently, likes things differently. But nevertheless, if there is indeed a a, a lifelong habit that your husband or wife has that really is causing distress, and you recognize it, you meaning the one that has this, then you try to overcome it. You try to overcome it and and work on it. And... um, and that's, that's very, very important. He brings an interesting anecdote here that one summer night in a Tel Aviv hotel before Meiriv, Rav Nassim Finkel gave a long drasha on, on Musser and, and Yonam like that to a number of his students that he used to have. And before he finished, his wife interrupted him in a whisper. They had wives. wives. And... He stopped the middle of his schmooze and he says, we have to start my river ready. And one of them said, but our wives won't mind. So Rafinkel said, first of all, I'm not sure that your wife, wives won't mind. And second of all, you have no right to make your wives wait for you. We had a certain zman and it's past the zman. And also your wife may be hungry and I can't make her wait. So he refused to finish the drasha. 
And after Myra, he made sure that everyone went home as soon as possible. So the consideration that he had. And um, it's important. I know Rabbi Yelvin used to do this very often. He used to go to his daughter. And um, this is an interesting story that his grandson used to relate. His grandson came from America to Eretz to be with his grandfather. And um, he knew he was a tzaddik. He was looking forward Friday night to, to a real... Uh, beautiful uh, Suda Shabbos with this tzaddik. But they ended up going to his daughter. Rabbi Levi went to one's daughter, so I guess this person, this grandson's aunt maybe. And they went to the Friday night Suda, and it was chaplap, it was very, very quick. Shalom Aleichem, and uh, one meal after the other, maybe a, little, a drop as mirrors, a little dvataira, benching, and, and, and then, you know, it was over uh, very, in a very short period of time, maybe a half hour, whatever it was. And when they were walking back, Ravari Levine and his grandson, back to his apartment, and the grandson said he was like very, like in a way like upset because he really want, he, he didn't understand. He, he knew about Ravari and what a big tzaddik he was. He expected to be elevated and uplifted by a Shabbos Suda. And here was like very quick and everything. Ravari chapped this and he told his grandson, I sense that you're, upset or disappointed, but I want to explain to you something. My daughter here, she has a lot of children. She works very, very hard all week long, and especially Ere Shabbos, to prepare for the Shabbos Suda and taking care of all the kids or all the young kids. And when it comes Friday night, she is extremely, extremely exhausted. And she's falling off her, you know, off her face, and she's extremely exhausted. And because of that, I make sure that when I go there for a Friday night Suda, that I may do it in a quick way so that the suda should be over at a normal time so she could put the children to sleep so that she could get a, 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 a menuchadik, a good night's sleep on a Friday night. And, and that's why the suda went so quick. So you see the shikaladas of a tzaddik. The, the grandson appreciated that Mahalach realized why he did it and what he did. And that's very, very important to know. That's called mishkal hachasidis, by the way, when you evaluate various things in the... In, in the way you conduct yourself, taking other people's um, hanhaga and argoshes into consideration. So to chazar over, basically the sides here of this uh, shir, one is the importance of facial expressions and using it properly. Another one is to ask yourself, what could I stop saying or doing that would cause my husband or wife distress and work on that? And also to work on negative habits you have that you know distresses your spouse to really work towards it and also having sensitivity, uh, a subtle sensitivity towards your husband and towards your wife. So all of these points, all of these nakudas were very, very important to know. Hatzlacha and bracha and have a good have a good day.